Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back, Quick Brain. I'm your brain coach and your host of the Quick Brain Podcast. My name is Jim Quick. And the question for today is something that's come up a lot in our private Facebook group, in our app, and that is around motivation and really sustaining behavioral change. And what is the key to lasting motivation? I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I've been a fan and a follower of our guests' work because a lot of people talk about that they want to make a change. They want to eat right. They want to exercise. They want to read each day or they want to be able to meditate. And so many people are not very successful in terms of following through. There's a difference between attaining something and sustaining it over time. So our guest here today is Dr. Michelle Seeger. She is an award-winning motivation scientist and researcher at the University of Michigan, author of No Sweat, and author of a brand new book called The Joy Choice, How to Finally Achieve Lasting Change Eating and in Exercise. Thanks for being on our show, Michelle. It's so great to be here. Thank you. We were talking about before we started recording that our audience loves the topic of motivation and motivation specifically to to make changes, right? And when people I believe that you change your brain, you could change your life, you could change your your personal world. When we're talking about this, and I, and I really enjoyed your book, I want to I want to first start by the myths around habits. You talk about how sometimes it's or maybe oversimplified or maybe outdated. Maybe we could discuss and unpack that a little bit. What are commonly held paradigms around habits and routines that maybe we want to give a little bit more color? And then we, I want to talk about your model for creating lasting change and sustained uh, motivation. Sure. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, the idea that we can automate our choices is amazing, right? We we depend on that multiple times during our day, whether we're driving to work or specifically a simple behavior like flossing, right? It's a habit formation, which refers to putting our choices and decision-making around something on autopilot so we don't have to exert cognitive control or willpower. The problem is, as lovely as the strategy is for many things in our life, I'm contending that it's been overgeneralized as a valuable strategy for more complex behaviors that have multiple steps and even multiple phases, like eating and cooking. You have to go to the grocery store, you have to prepare things, you have to follow through, et cetera, et cetera. And so here's the situation is that there hasn't been a lot of research surprisingly showing that putting our choices on automatic pilot through habit formation actually does produce sustainable changes, number one. And the research that exists on habit formation has mostly been done on animals and in lab-based studies um, using populations like students and already active gym members. So while the habit story is very popular, there isn't a lot of evidence to back up the fact that it can help us promote complex behaviors like physical activity and exercise and healthy eating. 
Okay. And so let's, let's talk about that because in our podcast and our courses, we talk a lot about how that's key for brain health and brain fitness, right? As your body moves, your brain grooves. We know that when you exercise, you create brain derived neurotropic factors with good for your heart is good for your head. You have oxygen flow. You have a change in mood, some stress relief. Eating obviously is really key to good brain health. Whole area of neuronutrition where there's your brain is only 2% of your body mass requires 20% of nutrients. But so many people learn these things in a podcast, but when it comes to implementing them, maybe they're, they sustain it for a day or two and then they go back and they revert to their own patterns. So motivation is not always logical. It's You would say it's more emotional because we're not logical, we are biological. That's right? right. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. And so what's missing? What role does emotion play in sustained motivation? Well, motivation is such a clinical term. Yes. And what it really refers to is drive. And, you know, there are really important theories like self-determination theory that have decades of research showing that our motivation matters. You know, some people disagree with that fact, but I've seen it in my work again and again. We've been socialized to come at exercise and healthy eating, not as these amazing choices that are going to fuel us, you know, helping our brains function as effectively as possible, helping our mood mood be as high as possible, but as shoulds and things we're supposed to do according to the ways other people, experts are telling us we should do it. And that creates a negative type of emotion, which weighs down motivation. But I, I've come to the belief that while motivation is very important, despite, and I, and I would, I would, you know, love to debate people who disagree with that fact. We do need to help people understand what is going to be the most adaptive way to think about it. And I think feeling desire for doing something. Do you want to do something or don't you want to do it? Or does it feel like a chore and a gift? And as you know, from reading No Sweat, that's a key question. And it's, an, it's a diagnostic because mm -hmm. what we want to do to help people understand why they don't desire to exercise or to eat in a certain way is we want to understand what's their underlying reason for initiating it and whether that feels like something they're supposed to be doing or whether it's something they deeply want to do that they find compelling is a compelling way to help them actualize who they yearn to be as a person and, and live the life that they want to have. For us, uh, we, we teach accelerated learning, speed reading, memory improvement, creativity, uh, critical thinking skills in, in our platform. And you know, I notice in terms that we have a lot of data because we have students in every country in the world and completion rates. And, and I, we noticed that also that when people anecdotally, when they, when we share people that follow through, they had some reason because with that reason, they had a result, meaning they, they had purpose. And so for behavioral change, it's kind of like you could look at it like learning, right? It's, it's a process of learning, like a, like a treat it maybe as even a, a learning project. I think we should actually throw away behavior change and call it learning change mm. because that, you know, whether we're talking about habit learning, automated learning in the brain or more conscious skill-based learning or harnessing our, using our executive functioning in the moment when we have to make a new choice and then evaluate it to see, did that give me the adaptive outcome that I want? So yes, we absolutely this is a process of learning. And doesn't that change the whole meaning of it away from something that we should be changing to something that we're going to grow from? 
Yeah, it, it feels like a, a sense of play, a sense of experimentation. You know, you were saying that awareness and that feedback, it, it implies some, some level of metacognition. Absolutely. And, you know, metacognition, I love that term. And, and it also means awareness and being an observer. You know, metacognition is a term from the learning field. And, you know, then we have mind being mindful and aware in other fields. And so whichever term we use, the goal is we, we can't learn lasting change unless we develop that metacognitive self-awareness that lets us understand what is actually getting in our way so that we can become more tactical and strategic and learn how to either avoid it or successfully pivot and navigate past it. So maybe we could walk people through an example where let's say one of our listeners, we, you know, we do, we've done 300 something, 300 episodes roughly, and people want to implement a behavioral change. They want to meditate or they want to journal. They want to prioritize their sleep, which you know maybe it's an, a, a number of tasks that build up that they need to stack. And that's very complex. And, and I highly recommend everybody also, we'll put links to the book you know, and to your, your some of your key videos that I really think people could go deep, deep, deep dive also no sweat. How would you approach it? Maybe you can give people an overview or an example of the different stages. Sure. You know, there's a bigger part of the conversation that I'm not going to focus on now that we already kind of talked about, which is that we're going into the conversation about how to set people up for lasting success with the assumption that people's reason for wanting to change the behavior or learn the change is deeply compelling on a personal level. So let's just assume that and put it aside. Let's jump into an example. A client, David, used to be a gym member with his wife and they would go to the gym, but they had some equipment in the basement and they decided to invest in a rowing machine, which he loved to use at the gym and he used regularly. But you know, part of their strategy for getting, you know, the $2,000 rowing machine was to drop the gym membership and save money. So it's in the basement, which is their home gym. And he's been using it for a couple weeks. So he's still kind of, he's exiting the motivation bubble that we talked about. We start out strong, motivated. I'm going to do it. I've got this beautiful new machine. He's starting to descend into the basement and he starts to feel meh. I don't really want to do it. This is very common. People buy equipment all the time and they are really motivated to do it. But he starts to notice he doesn't want to do it. So he, he tells himself, I'm only going to do 10 minutes because that's part of the, that is part of the solution is that people need to learn that they can flex what they had originally planned to do. And that's what the choice point is, right? We need to see it for what it is, whether it's an unexpected, immediate, urgent need from our boss or coming to a point of our exercise plan and feeling unmotivated, that's a choice point. And this is where we need metacognition to say, okay, wait a sec, what's going on here? Hmm, I'm noticing I don't feel motivated despite just, you know, investing $2,000 in this beautiful machine. What am I, what are my options here? So people say, okay, it's not black and white. We need to break out of all or nothing thinking and say, I have options here. And that's one of the things that's part of the old story of behavior change is unfortunately, many people still believe that if they can't do the perfect plan or what they hope to do, it's not worth doing anything. And the opposite is true. Research shows that doing anything will help reinforce what you're doing as an is your identity and is a key part of a successful path of lasting change. So let's go back to David. So he forced himself a couple times to do the rowing machine. Third time that week, he's like, I'm not going to do it. 
I can, okay, here's my, I open up my options and I'm going to play with the possibilities. Okay. I could go down for five minutes only, or I could walk outside for 40 minutes. Huh? It's a beautiful day outside. I think I'm going to try that. So part of the phases in the plan that David is exemplifying and the metacognition and self-awareness is to understand he's not motivated and there's another option he's going to try. And what wound up happening is that he discovered that even though he loved drawing in the gym with big windows, he really hates being in the basement. It's very uninspiring. It's kind of demotivating and depressing. And so while thankfully his wife gets to harness the, their investment in the rowing machine because she likes it, he's discovered that walking outside is his go-to and is what is going to work for him on most days. But he had to have that self-awareness at that choice point to understand what else could I do and to experiment and learn and then later evaluate, use metacognition to go, okay, did that work? What did I learn from it? And that doesn't mean that he never went down and did a five-minute rowing session because on any given day, he might have needed that stress reduction. But I think one of the things that people haven't been taught in society is to create a menu of possible options. And just like a menu in a restaurant where there's appetizers, very smaller pieces, and you've got a whole bunch of those, and then there's mid-sized plates, and then there's the large full meal, we should be picking different things all the time because that's what we have to do in other complex areas of our lives. We don't say the same thing to our kids every day at every single point. We assume and we presume that we have to do and say things differently on any given day based on the circumstances. I want to pause there. I do want to say one thing, though, that people easily and understandably get concerned and they say, but Michelle, isn't this going to just cause bad habits and lead people to not do anything if you, you know, open the floodgates to you know, something is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And it's a logical thing to be concerned about. But the first thing, the first kind of fact is that the alternative, which is all or nothing thinking, if I can't do it right, I'm not going to do it at all, has been the predominant belief system in our culture for like 40 years. And it doesn't work for most people. It doesn't work in healthcare. It doesn't work in organizations. It doesn't work in fitness clubs. So that's the first answer. And, and the second answer is that the emerging science suggests that having a more flexible instead of rigid strategy when we come to our choice points is actually more adaptive when it comes to behavior change. My last question for you is your, your book, right? The Joy Choice. Who did you write it for and what would you want your reader to get out of it? Gosh, I wrote it for people and professionals. I wrote it for people who have not been successful to date, but they keep cycling on trajectories of starting and stopping and starting and stopping, but not sustaining. So for people who just can't figure out what's getting in their way and for professionals who work with them to better understand how the old story of behavior change continues to derail people's change, but what the new science and new story says can help people be more successful. And, you know, it's called the joy choice for a very specific reason. The strategy that, you know, helps people redefine success so they can remain successful is this positive, playful, joy-infused strategy that doesn't it just create desire. Yeah, who doesn't want to make the joy choice? 
but also supports our executive functioning in the process. So, you know, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping people have fun reading it. There's a lot of fun graphics in it, a little tongue in some tongue in cheek ones too. And I had fun doing it. So <laughs> there, there are d- d- wonderful, inspiring stories, very, very relatable, the anecdotes. And I love that it's again, brain-based and also very practical at the same time. Because some people could be inspired, but they won't know what to do. If a work was just purely instructional, you know, they, they know what to do, but they're not inspired to implement it. There's a quote in my book, Limitless, from a French philosopher that says, life is the C between B and D. Life is C between B and D. B stands for birth, D stands for death, and life C is, is choice, you know? And so we always have this choice. And I love this book because it reminds people of their own agency. And I, I hope people make the choice to, to purchase a copy for themselves and also a copy for a friend or a family member or a team member. Where can people get the book or where can people go to connect with you or get more information? Thank you. And thank you for those sentiments. That is, that is so lovely. People can get the book in any place where they buy their books, you know, places like Amazon or their independent bookstore, or they can go to my website and there's a, a book section for the Joy Choice where there's also a quiz about decision traps people can take and different sellers with, and, and also they can see the reviews. So yeah, my, my website, which is just my name. Wonderful. And on social media, is there a place on Twitter or someplace you'd like to be able to follow you? Sure. It's I'm at Michelle Seeger at Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn too. Those are the two best places. Dr. Michelle Seeger, thank you so much for being on the Quick Brain Podcast. I want to encourage everyone also, a reminder, readers are leaders, right? You read to succeed. Michelle has decades of experience, 30 years in, in this field, and she put it into a book and you can download decades of wisdom in today's you know, and that's why books are, I think, one of the, it's an unfair advantage. It's a wonderful way to complement and accelerate your own achievements. So I recommend everyone, I really enjoyed the book, get your copy, make sure you follow Michelle on LinkedIn and on Twitter and for show notes where we'll put links to her book and everything else at jimquick.com forward slash notes. So please share this episode, leave a review and, and Michelle, thank you so much again for being on our show. Thank you so much. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power. It's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You wanna learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. 
leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team could properly thank you. Hashtag quick brain, K-W-I-K brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think. I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our Quick Success program. This is our monthly lives that I do, where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your Limitless Book Club, where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for a one hour, uh, share going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice. Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.